The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Get one, Yaro, and I'll sign it for you. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Friday, January 12th, and today is all. Get ready, you guys. You're going to love this one, Elise. It is Kiss a Ginger Day. It's also National Marzipan Day, National Curry Chicken Day, National Pharmacist Day. Those are all the days of today. And thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see where exactly where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even on our very own website. And uh, we, are, we are at short Rico today, so I am going to kick this show off today. We're going to start it off. I have a very, very interesting uh, story for you guys this morning. Are you guys ready? Because the, the congressional resolution urges equity in legal marijuana markets and pushes Biden to advocate for global cannabis reform at the U.N., you guys, the United Nations. The Democratic co-chairs of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus have reintroduced a resolution calling for state and local decriminalization of marijuana and encouraging the adoption of specific best practices around regulated markets. The RESPECT resolution was introduced by Representative Barbara Lee and Earl Blumenhauer on Thursday, along with six other co-sponsors, all Democrats, to encourage states and local governments to enact Act a number of reforms around marijuana designed to address disparities in, in participation in legal marketplaces. The uh, legislation calls for removing criminal pen penalties from marijuana use and possession, ensuring public benefits cannot be denied to someone due to a cannabis conviction, and eliminating suspicion-less drug testing for non-safety-sensitive employment positions. The legislation encourages local licensing and eliminates broad uh, felony restrictions, prohibits previous cannabis convictions as jurisdictions for denial of a license, and determines criminal convictions on a case-by-case -case basis for both owners and employees. The Drug Policy Alliance Normal, the better, uh, the better organizing to win legalization, better known as Pack, and the Minority Cannabis Business Association endorsed the respect resolution and its reintroduction. The 
legislation encourages the use of tax revenue from marijuana sales to support people of color entering the legal cannabis industry. And Bullpack founder Justin Schreckel, formerly the executive director for Normal, said marijuana policy alone cannot undo the totality of the harms of the systemic racism, but it must include re- uh, reparative justice provisions. Normal's political director Morgan Fox emphasized that legaliz- that, that legalization's goal is broader than merely ending prohibition of the plant. He said that the organization is looking for ways to invest in and remedy the harms visited on individual cannabis consumers. Lee and Blumenhauer uh, first introduced the respect resolution back in June of 2018, and Lee has been a voice for marijuana equity in Congress. As more states have legalized marijuana, critics have warned against regulations that allow large businesses to dominate the market and ignore the needs of communities harmed by prohibition. Blumenhauer announced in October that he won't seek a re-election this year, but he said he still has hope that the Biden administration will heed the will of the voters and end cannabis criminalization. The Drug Enforcement Administration told Congress that it reserves the right to make any scheduling decision on marijuana, regardless of what the Department of Health and Human Services recommends. And there have been uh, frustrations over delayed U.S. Senate consideration of a bipartisan bill to safeguard bans that work with state legal marijuana businesses. But Blumenhauer remains hopeful for a productive year in federal marijuana reform. Well, 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 well. This is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. I can't wait to hear what all you guys have to think. I think this is just, I, I, I like that the, the drum that, that he's beating, but I don't think that it has any teeth, and I don't think it's actually going to do anything at all. But nonetheless, let's hear what you guys have to say. This is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. What do y'all think? You guys are all on mute. No thoughts on this, huh? I love that they're talking about it. Yeah, I, I think it's great, nice too. Yeah, I think yeah. it's great that they're but talking I'm about it. I'm with you. I don't think it's going to happen. They're not yeah. going to do nothing. They're not They're not going to move Biden to do anything. I mean, they're not going to offer him like a big uh, old... To quote Shakespeare, much ado about nothing. Much to do Sorry. about... Look at that, Dr. Mark. Much ado about nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel you. I feel you. I right? Yeah, they're not going to do anything it's, about it's this. Just, it's just your, your classic lip service. You know, it's an election year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, it's interesting, you know, that the, uh, the whole, his, so Biden's thing about, you know, pardoning, what was it? Just, um, possession use, right, Jason? Yep. So like, it really doesn't address the, you know, reform that really needs to happen around enforcement, uh, you know, and certainly, you know, the 900-pound gorilla in the room is, you know, they just, because they couldn't, you know, get the committee together, they kicked the can down the road on the mm-hmm. farm bill. Mm-hmm. So the hemp-derived thing is still, you know, you know, basically at odds with the regulated cannabis industry. And, you know, there's lawsuits that are claiming that there's revenue to regulated cannabis businesses that are being drained by this hemp derived thing, which is a completely unregulated uh, territory. Uh, so all this other stuff around safe banking and rescheduling is all bullshit because they're not addressing the main problem in the industry today. Mm-hmm. 
Very true. The main problem is the fact that cannabis. Do, 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 do you agree? Does anyone yeah. else? No, that, I'm I'm 100 yeah. percent with you. I, they're, they're, I I agree with you, but but I I don't think that we're going to get to a point of descheduling at this point. I, I think safe banking is probably the closest I, thing that we are going to get. Um, and and rescheduling, I just I I fear I fear that it's going to have dire consequences for the industry. So I I don't see like a big a big I win think, here. I think here's where I would disagree which is I think that Biden has done an excellent job grandstanding, pandering, and optics mongering. And I would not say the same thing about Barbara Lee. Barbara Lee is my favorite politician, and I know that that is a contradictory statement. But that woman (laughs) has been at the forefront of everything important. And when it comes to the regulated cannabis industry, she has been a champion and an ally in a way that very few policymakers can actually claim. And so when I see her name associated with something, I go, oh, watch out. Something might actually get done. The other thing is, and I say this time and time again, but I have to be on brand and on message. Anytime we talk about cannabis taxes, funding worthy causes, we've got the equation wrong. We've got the equation wrong. Because I will tell you one thing. You show me your budget, and I'll show you your priorities. And if your priority is to siphon money from the industry as a way to support worthy causes in or outside of the industry, you've got a broken model. Oh, similar to what Gavin Newsom, your story yesterday, huh? It's very similar. Very, very similar. I Look, agree, I agree with all you said. I, I agree with everything you said, Yaro, for the most part. Yeah. I don't. You have any, you have any thoughts on this? For the most part, but think Colorado. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Colorado would disagree because they just invested, what, how many millions of dollars into their schools from their successful cannabis taxes, right? So I get the argument on that side, but I think the conversation that should be had is cannabis needs to be descheduled and treated exactly the same as hemp and the farm bill, and they need to not have these two different schedules. And that's the conversation everyone should be having because they're just creating more mess for themselves, even in more loopholes if they continue to keep it separate like this. And of course, you know, we can all feel bad for our cannabis industry comrades and colleagues who whose businesses are going under while people sell Delta 8 and THCO mm-hmm. across the nation. But then those people's responses, well, no one's stopping those farmers from doing the same thing. So it's this very capitalistic mindset, right, of survival of the fittest. And I think that's not fair when we're all playing by these different rules. But mm-hmm. again, the government doesn't really care about us. They care about them, right? Yep, exactly. And and, and do, do, Dr. T, Dr. T on this, you know, like um, a lot of people, they, they, they say that, you know, like um, one of the reasons that that you have a lot of these international trials and whatnot is they say because cannabis because the U.N. still has cannabis listed as a dangerous drug or whatnot on their controlled substance list. Do you do, do you think, Dr. Talleyrand, that 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 really um Anyone really cares what the U.N. says in regards to their drug policy? Because after all, if if America deschedules cannabis, you you already know the U.N. is just going to follow suit after that. That's right. And, you know, to initially have cannabis, uh, you know, as something prohibited, you know, clearly shows that the U.N. is following some other directive uh, other than science. You know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're not really following the 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 evidence of science and so um you know this is a political game it's not what the people want 70 percent supporting uh you know at least medical use of cannabis Mm -hmm. uh, and science showing that it's not harmful what is the holdup you know it's all politics the un 
the UN's primary uh, underwriter is the United States. I think it was like seventy yep. percent of their budget or it something. Is. I don't know You're the right about exact that. number, but the, but the truth is, people pander to who covers their bills, and so while the UN has this. Uh, impression of impartiality and of having all of these representative nations, it's going to be lockstep with whoever pays 70% of their bills. Yep. I agree with that. I agree with that, bro. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And on that note, we're going to roll right on into a commercial and we're going to be right back. <laughs> oh man, that was weird. Hey, you America. Do I look like Sean Connery? <laughs> Good morning, America. Saman Razani coming to you live from sunny Los Angeles, California with the one and only highest host, Mr. Jason Beck, smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast? You can find it on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. No excuses in 2024. If you haven't checked us out, Check it out now. And also, check out what The Prophet's doing in 2024. Oh, yes, and we're back. Coming up next, that's right, it's Dr. Gene Talleyrand. He's been a cannabis doctor for many moons and probably wrote your parents' recommendation. He's the founder of CESC and of Medican, where you should begin your doctor's recommendations from. That's right. It is none other than the man, Mr. Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for the plug. Happy Friday, everyone. So my story today comes from U.S. News and World Report. Uh, Could medical cannabis be bad for heart patients by Dennis Thompson? The quick answer is no, but let's get to the story. Medical cannabis might ease chronic pain, but it also increases a patient's risk of a dangerous abnormal heart rhythm, a new study says. The study was recently published in the European Heart Journal using nationwide uh, Danish registers, patients with chronic pain initiating, uh, with chronic pain uh, uh, first, I'm sorry, chronic pain initiating first time treatment with medical cannabis were compared to a five time larger group of patients with chronic pain who did not use medical cannabis. The cohorts were matched for age, sex, and use of pain medication. However, the groups were of unequal size. Unequal group size can affect the statistical power of a study and the precision of its estimates. In this case, the results should be considered less precise. Patients using medical cannabis had a 0.8% absolute risk of being diagnosed with a heart arrhythmia. Patients not using medical cannabis had a 0.4 absolute risk of being diagnosed with a heart arrhythmia. As reference, the absolute risk of dying in a car accident is about the same, yet we all still drive. Um, I don't think this research should make patients with chronic pain refrain from trying medical cannabis if other treatment has been inadequate said researcher Dr. Anders Holt, a cardiologist at the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark. Holt and his colleagues performed the study to better inform physicians prescribing cannabis. They believe this is the first nationwide study on medical cannabis use and heart disease in Denmark. In this study, the results were not statistically significant enough to make a claim that heart disease of any kind was associated with medical cannabis use. What's more, 
Drugs like NSAIDs, seizure medication, and opiates have also demonstrated an increased risk of arrhythmias, yet that information was not included in the story. THC is a vasodilator. As a result, heart rate may transiently increase, although overall blood pressure is lowered. After several decades of medical cannabis use in the U.S., we have yet to see evidence of heart disease. We need much more research in this area, said Halt, before concluding anything. Results from the study should be re replicated in other countries and settings. I'm not sure why media institutions like U.S. News and World Report uh, report problems that are not there. Could it be that they cannot accept that they had that they were lied to by their own government during the war on drugs campaigns? Is it stubborn conservatism to believe that that cannabis use is harmful? I also uh, like to point out that the results of research of this research can be misunderstood without careful reading and discussion. It appears that the title of this article misrepresents the results of the study. Perhaps U.S. News and World Report has an incentive to point fingers at cannabis and not at the pharmaceutical industry. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand with High at Nine News. Man, I love that last statement, Dr. T. You know, and 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 I think that is that you hit the nail on the head with that last statement. That that they need to be pointing fingers at the pharmaceutical industry instead of uh, pointing fingers at cannabis, because the reality is that cannabis hasn't killed anybody, but pharmaceuticals kill Americans every day. Agreed. And with the data that we're seeing, with the, uh, you know, uh, results that we're seeing, it's really a shame that we're not really moving forward with this. Mm -hmm. um, and we continue to try to, uh, to slash cannabis as an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we have to, in the same discussion, I'm sure my good doctor colleague here would agree with me that there, there is life-saving pharmaceuticals, right? That, mm -hmm. that there are drugs. Again, a part of the reasons why our parents are living is these grand old lives is because they've been taking, you know, blood pressure maintenance, you know, uh, medications, which again have sort of like a peripheral effect in 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 keeping people healthy for longer, right? And. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I've said it a few times on the show. If you ever watch the evening news on just regular, you know, TV, whatever the network be, you'll see that the evening news is brought to you by this whole list of these commercials <laughs> with these weird names on all these different products, and some of them are like biological these days, doctor. Right? I mean, they're not just chemical active ingredients packaged into a pill. I, I actually have seen this thing now where everyone's like shooting their belly with this little, what is it? It's like a, a pen or something like that. Like what product it's is the GLP ones. It's the GLP one, the, yeah. the new weight loss drug that Oprah is yeah. using. It, yeah. it, it's the hot new, I was just at a conference with a million dollar drug. That, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the new blockbuster. Everybody's uh, everybody's injecting themselves. I thought. Way. Yeah. So how does how does cannabis get such a bad rap when they have this Prevagen thing, which is something that they isolated from jellyfish? Really? <laughs> what? There's a protein in jellyfish that makes you remember things better. Tell me how that works, please. <laughs> right? Anything you eat goes into your stomach. It gets digested, and it's going to somehow magically work to your brain, so you remember. Thing. I don't know. I mean, anyway, I mean, so, I mean in all fairness, uh, yeah, I, Dr. Mark, in, in all fairness, I mean, jellyfish are some of the uh, skinniest animals on the planet. 
Yeah, you, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't argue that. <laughs> it's not that they're skinny, Jason. It's that when they're in their natural environment, the rest of their blubber is hard to view. It's the angle. It's oh, being is that it? in is the this, water. Is that it? It's, it's the perception, yeah. right? It's yeah. The, yeah. It's, the, it's that mirrored that's effect right. that's, that, 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 that's giving it, and, giving and it that slender look. And also, they're not look. subject to fat shaming. They're it's, not it's subject like, to fat shaming by their peers. It's, so that's it's, it's also like, a good thing for them. It's like, it's like when you wear black, right? Right, Yarrow? It's like when you wear black. It's slimming. I've been living that <laughs> life my whole life. Um, you know, when we talk about pointing a finger at the pharmaceutical industry, I mean, we all know what finger that should be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, but to Mark's point, I mean, better living through chemistry. We do have, you know, increased uh, uh, life expectancy. We can't just completely bash it. The one thing I do want to say, Jason, is we like to say that cannabis has never killed anybody. But actually, post-vape that's not entirely accurate. And when I was a wee, wee, wee lad back in the early 2000s, and I mm -hmm. went to Dr. Gene here for my, one of my first medical cannabis recommendations. Look at that. Medi and I explained to him that I was going to grow my own. He looked at me and said, young man. And he shared with me stories of patients that had been damaged as a result of what had been put on those plants, not the plant, but what had been put on those plants. So I think it's important that when we say that cannabis has never killed anybody, the plant may have not killed anybody, but our lack of understanding around what we should and shouldn't put on that plant before we consume it or aerosolize mm -hmm. the biomass has created harm. And so yep. um, that, I just want to be true. full spectrum in the way that we explain the risk profile. That, 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 that part is true. And, you know, like, like um, I, I don't know. Do you remember Do you remember Jane Warwick, Dr. Talleyrand? Jane Warwick, she was one of the uh, beginning uh, advocates in the beginning and and she one of our doctors no 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 she was she, she was not a doctor she, she she was just an advocate in in the beginning but she was also was a cultivator and i know i i know she, she she passed away because she developed a neurological disease and we believe that that was from uh from the use of spraying avid yeah okay so this must be the same patient yeah that mm -hmm. we've been sharing and it wasn't my patient it was a patient of dr mccaria's um, but yeah, there was some pesticide it's, it's, on there. She did have a chronic condition previously, but we think, you know, we found lots of uh, a high high level of the pesticide in her in, during the autopsy. What, what was the pesticide, John? Do you remember? I don't recall. You're right. It would have been like an avid or a floor. Yeah, it was. It was avid. Things it that was avid. Indoor cultivators were using it, it at was, that time, it was, not it was knowing avid. how damaging it was. Yeah. Is that we're just trying to so kill an, spider mites? An, an insecticide that was an insecticide that was sprayed, and she breathed, she accidentally breathed well, it. Is that what well, happened? well, to my to my understanding, to my understanding, how 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 Avid works is 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 um is 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 people that that spray Avid, they would have to be in like in like basically one of those uh, chem suits or whatnot. And a lot of people, no no home grower really had chem suits back then, and so um, just spraying it around uh, that that could seep and and attack your nervous system just from the pores seeping into your skin. From my understanding, so well, and, I yeah, did I have agree. the cool protective and suits because I've never been to Home Depot. She did and have a chronic condition. What's that, Doctor T? She had a she did have right. a chronic condition. Yes, that 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 part that part is true. Yeah, which made her more susceptible to having this reaction. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. No, officially, it, the the autopsy said that she died of the chronic condition, but that it was suspicious to see high levels of the pesticide. 
in, in comorbidities at the same time. So, uh, yeah. True. Yep, exactly. So I did have one of those cool hazmat suits, Jason, because I never found anything at Home Depot that looked so industrial that I didn't want to own and possess. So we did mask up and suit up and wear those Tyvek things when we did our foliar sprays. The misperception or lack of understanding that we had is that we believed that that uh, insecticide would dissipate out of the biomass of the plant after a couple of weeks. And we didn't have any science to support that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a crazy world, crazy world. And uh, yeah, we, we, it's, it's just a sad situation with, with, with these pesticides. And, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we smoke cannabis and most of these pesticides are, are made for, for agricultural products that, that we consume. And so consuming them in that way, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to lighting them up and burning them is totally different method and creates a totally different chemical different reaction things. process. Exactly. Right. Uh, right. Dr. Mark. I don't think, I don't think ingesting yeah. carcinogenic chemicals in any form, whether you're eating them or smoking them, is better than the other. I mean, look at what's wrong with our food and Roundup and Monsanto and all that. So, mm -hmm. And that's not saying the food kills people, right? It's the chemical that kills people. So back to Yaro's uh, tangent is, about cannabis killing people. I don't think it was cannabis. It was in this story that we rabbit hole we went down. It was the chemical, right? Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to know about the story Dr. T was reporting on is why are they spending money to study something so, again, it's like they're looking for something wrong, and why not take that money and energy and invest in studying something that anecdotally has been proven to be helpful and prove that, right? So it's just I agree with uh, the initial comments about it looks, could, it seems like they were looking for something wrong I and tell you, for whatever reason that is. I could tell you exactly and the, why. And yeah. What? Yeah. I could tell you exactly what, why. Yeah, They're looking for something wrong because U.S. News and World Report will pub, will print it. You know, it'll make them famous and it'll get them uh, <laughs> right? more funding. Well, isn't isn't there isn't there another side to that coin too? Because the other the other answer to that question is the fact that uh, there is more money in keeping people sick as opposed to creating a cure. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's right. Follow and the they're money. Probably somehow funded by NIDA, and NIDA's sort of mission is to National Institute of Drug Abuse to show the negative yep. aspects. We're gonna we're, we're, we got to keep this train rolling. We're gonna roll right on in. That's right to Dr. Mark Chaldone. He's a PhD chemist with 30 years experience and a deadhead for over 50. He's a recognized expert in natural product chemistry, essential oil extraction, and syn synthesis. Right, synthesis. That's right. It is none other than Dr. Mark Chaldone. Thank you, Jason. Happy Friday, everyone. Great to see uh, my colleague, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. Great story, Jean. And great to see Elise. Hey, how are you? She's a badass. All right. So let's see, what's my story today? Oh, hey, it's the same old song and dance. The industry's failure to address intoxicating hemp products is the height of irresponsibility. That's the title of the of the article. It was in the hemp today back from January 8th. So it's, you know, you guys know this story. We've talked about it a few times. U.S. hemp, uh, it's an, actually it's a super long article, but I'll try to get through most of it here. Uh, U.S. hemp stakeholders have warned that an old list of industry priorities for next U.S. farm bill continuing to ignore the elephant in the room. 
products that contain Delta-8, THC, and other intoxicating compounds made from hemp-derived CBD. The recommendations issued in, under a banner uh, of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which is the U.S. HR, um, as a delay in the 2023 uh, Farm Bill has opened up a window for further lobbying and a debate over hemp extracts and downstream products. Uh, a January 3rd USHR press release about the policy rec uh, recommendations makes such ado about the remarkable unity among 33 trade bodies in the industry, but implies little cohesiveness when it comes to the controversial matter of intoxicating edibles, which have increased turmoil in the CBD business, still the industry's most lucrative subsector. When the original statement of the industry priorities was released last May, it failed to mention the psychoactive hemp products at all. USHR repeats in all original recommendations, but a call for a policy that will maintain a, a current definition of hemp while balancing appropriate consumer protections with continued market access to hemp products, those presumably uh, containing intoxicating uh, products like edibles. Uh, the products which can produce a marijuana-like high, I hate when they say that, but hey, that's the way it's written, uh, are putting uh, CBD through various processing in the lab. Products are the source of lawsuit regulatory challenges as those we've discussed here on Hyatt 9. Uh, throughout the country and uh, different stakes taking different approaches to try to tamp down a wild and woolly market. Oh, that's a great way to describe it. Wild and woolly. <laughs> like some of Elisa's outfits. Um, in, in many producers and distributors are playing a dangerous game. It's interesting that they're using the word dangerous here. Dangerous first to public health. Dodgy producers continue to market Delta-8 and other intoxicating cannabinoids to children in packaging including edible products in brightly colored motifs that mimic popular brands of candies and other treats. Because the products do not fall under the rules for recreational or medical marijuana, they aren't under the safeguards such as things as tainting, proper packaging, and health warnings. Dangerous second to the entire hemp industry. Pioneering stakeholders of a new era in hemp have spent decades in trying to clean up, clear up the misleading, uh, 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 or I'm sorry, uh, the misunderstanding that equates to hemp with marijuana. With intoxicating hemp products more exposed to the public and regulators, any results uh, of those efforts are quickly being eroded negatively, affecting investment and development across hemp sectors. Yet 33 groups flying under the USHR flag have nothing uh, straightforward to say about the train wreck failing to take the opportunity to put forth a realistic strategy for such projects 
or such products, I'm sorry, uh, and missing the opportunity to cast a responsible industry when it comes to uh, consumer safety. A group of cannabis regulators in several states last August sent a letter, I think we talked about that uh, mm -hmm. here on Hyatt 9, I believe, uh, to Congress suggesting a national framework to be established for all hemp-based cannabinoids, including CBD and any downstream outputs made from CBD, such as intoxicating hemp edibles. This uh, recent document um, could have been the basis for an industry policy statement. However, the Hemp Association memberships are overwhelmingly made of and financed by CBD-related companies who do not agree in their approaches to intoxicating hemp cannabinoids and cannot reach common principles, so they punt. The 2018 Farm Bill set the landmark for the industrial hemp uh, uh, industrial hemp making legal any part of the plant, including seeds, all derivative extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, salts, uh, and salts of isomers, with uh, obviously the exclusion of Delta 9 uh, THC uh, uh, tetrahydrocannabinol. We all know this down to the level of 0.1% on a dry weight basis. However, lawmakers did not envision and intended the use of legalized in intoxicating products to be made from hemp derivatives. Recognizing the potential and the thorny problem of CBD itself, which already flooded the market, the 2018 legislation held that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, uh, retain the authority to regulate hemp products, including CBD, although the agency has yet to issue rules. The synthetic intoxicating cannabinoids such as Delta-8 THC, HHC, THCP, THCO have uh, emerged in the wake of the CBD boom or bust that followed the package, uh, passage of the 2018 Farm Bill. As the market collapsed, those CBD producers eventually found an outlet in their pent-up supplies with dodgy producers who created a semi-gray market for intoxicating cannabinoids based on a loophole in federal law. The 2023 Farm Bill was expected to end at the or was expected. At, I'm sorry, which was expected at the end of last year was delayed in autumn. Uh, is an opportunity to address the questions around CBD and intoxicating products that could be made from CBD. The delay for one, one more year muddled regulatory picture on uh, uh, muddled the regulatory picture that can leave potentially an unsafe intoxicating cannabinoids on the market. In the best case scenario, these products, or in the best scenario, these products should be allowed to go under rules for marijuana and strictly limited to licensed marijuana dispensaries with proper manufacturing practices, labeling rules, warning in place. I would also personally add proper third party uh, testing and uh, COA issuing and all that that we all have to do in the regulated cannabis space. They should have to do the same thing here. Um, uh, to say the least, children should not have access to intoxicating treats at their local gas stations or bottegas. I'm not going to go on and read anymore. There's, it goes on for a few more paragraphs. You know, this, this should be regulated if that's what, how they want to roll out intoxicating 
products um, just as though these things were made from cannabis. They're being made from hemp, and you know, God bless them if they've hired good chemists like myself that can understand how to optimize the production of active pharmaceuticals, which right, Dr. Talleyrand, it's basically what they're doing. They're starting with CBD, which is, yes, it's plant-derived, and it's derived from hemp, and it's legal and all that, but then they're doing chemical reactions now to convert this into something new. So to me, that's active pharmaceutical ingredient synthesis, and you know, you, you don't just do that in a warehouse or back of your, you know, grow at the, the where you'd be growing cannabis. Mm-hmm. Correct, Dr. Talleyrand? I, I assume that we have alignment on that. So it's, right. a, it's a very interesting article. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just wanted to point out that uh, there are apparently up to seven other uh, compounds other than Delta-8 that occur when you add acid to CBD. So, you know, there are also some unknowns apparently that that are that occur yeah so there's actually sophisticated analytical chemists that have actually figured out exactly everything that's in there and it's based on chemistry that was actually described in the chemical literature back in the early 70s uh, based on all the stuff that mishulam did uh there was some uh uh, raj rosdan who did some very pioneering chemistry uh basically published what happens when you treat cbd with acid and like dr talleyrand said it doesn't just generate delta eight it generates a multitude of as it turns out other thc isomers that um uh one of those is iso delta eight and uh, i co-authored a paper with professor alan hallett um that was presented at the icrs uh, a meeting this past summer in Toronto on her pioneering or our, our part, I guess I'm a, a co- co-author. So I also our pioneering work to show that uh, ISO Delta eight acts like a cannabinoid, uh, but it's not hitting the CB1 receptor because she has a assay where she puts another CB1 receptor antagonist in there. And we know that it's not competitively displacing it. So it's still, eliciting the uh, same type of neuronal responses, which at the cellular level is an increase in cyclic AMP production. It starts turning on ion channels. It starts getting the cell ready to do business. So it's, yeah, that's it's how cannabinoids act on cells. So but speaking of turning... In, speaking of turning on, on a antagonists... Yeah, speaking of turning on antagonists, did you notice how at the beginning of your article you said hello to Elise, you said hello to Dr. T, you didn't say hello to me? I don't know <laughs> whether I got like the redheaded stepchild there on Friday's episode, but you know where I come from, we're hyper polite. I don't know what it's like in your zip code. Um, you know, you you did touch on something that I did want to just agree with, which is that you said you. I like love your you, Yara. You know I love you. I, there's well, lots of just, love. Just remember, love is a practice, okay? Um, And I am feeling isolated like a fucking CBD molecule. And so you did touch on something that I did want to just sort of echo, which is, like you, I like my chemists sophisticated. I mean, if you're a chemist and you don't pass me the great papon, we can't get down together. I want a very sophisticated chemist. I I I do think that... um, 
We are hey, the Grateful about- Dead had a chemist. <laughs> I oh, bet they oh, did. Yeah. I bet All they did. Good bands right. have a chemist. I bet they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm still seeing Paisley's from my last concert, and I think that was Shoreline in 1992. Um, and, and so I, I do think that um, uh, this is a good example of where if we can have scientific advisory panels that are on the cutting edge of medicine and science that can inform regulators and governments about how best to address highly technical issues, we win. Whether that's environmental policy, whether that's medicine, whether that's emerging nutraceutical spaces. We covered an article, I don't know if it was this week or last week, where in Wisconsin, the politicians were deciding what medical ailments would qualify for being able to be a recipient of a medical cannabis card. And we, we need to know foundationally as a society that politicians shouldn't stray outside of their expertise. Now, I don't know what most politicians' expertise is. They all come to politics through different journeys and, 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 and training. But it, this gets us back to letting scientists inform for policy and having those intoxicating cannabinoids regulated in a way that is independent from the source um, and making sure that those policies are keeping track of the chemistry innovations so that chemists aren't just one step ahead and in, in providing uh, intoxicating cannabinoids to people without some type of age-restricted and supply chain uh, uh, assurances. And so uh, we're going to keep seeing this probably until there's something really, really terrible that happens. And that's the problem. We've been talking about loss prevention and dispensaries. And then two weeks ago, we have a, 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 an Oakland police officer slain in the line of duty as a result of cannabis businesses. And so we're talking about these hemp-derived cannabinoids. And like, what is it going to take? Some 11-year-old buying some something at a gas station and then walking out in front of a semi-truck. The sad truth is in America, it bleeds, it leads. And until there's something tragic, I doubt we're going to have this galvanization, this motivation, this inspiration to say, this is a train wreck. We can solve this before it gets terrible, but we have to do something about it now. I... I, well, it, 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 just, just to add my two cents, it's been my position all along that if people have unfettered access to high quality cannabis and cannabis products, there wouldn't be a need for this synthetic recreational market. Dr. T, I think, is nodding his head. So, you know, we, we've said this before. Go ahead, Elise. I think she wanted to chime in. Yeah, I was just going to say that this all only started because people can't access the whole plant in THC in the first place. And if anything, I would like these chemists and these experts to actually be informing the government or whoever, the legislators, that it's the same plant. And honestly, like, it was all prohibited because they didn't, well, because they didn't like poor people and people of color, people who were against the war. It was why they prohibited it, right? And then it comes out, oh, it can help people. And they, we worked so hard to get medical because it actually helps people. We got that. Then they got CBD. Oh, this is allowed because it won't get you high. Thus further proving we just, the government doesn't want anyone to quote unquote get high. So that's how we even got CBD out there in the first place. And then again, some really smart business people and capitalists and a lot of them found the loopholes and ways and then and consumers you know prove that the demand is there as they want to access this plant and that's how we end up in this mess but i do not think the answer is further regulating more compounds it's just going to be a freaking mess and they really just need to 
get it all into one. I mean, we don't look at alcohol this way, right? I mean, interestingly enough, though, the wine industry, wine is regulated by a completely different body than spirits and alcohol. And that's why wine is actually really shady. Notice there's no ingredient label on wine. You don't know how much sugar is in wine. There's over 500 additives that could be in your wine, like sawdust and dye and all this stuff. That's a completely legal product you can buy almost anywhere. They found their way to have their own regulatory body, again, through lobbying. And back at the beginning of this article, they mentioned, what, four strong lobby groups or something? Um, I believe it was noted. And I just got to say, the hemp industry has always been better organized, better funded, and better able to lobby than our quote-unquote THC side. And we really just all need to be working together. But And, and a, lot of that, Elise, a lot of that, at least, is because they're not subject to 280E like people on the THC Delta 9 side are. Um, and so, so, so that brings a, a, a big component in that because there would be a lot more money for the cannabis industry to do that type of lobbying if it wasn't getting sucked up by the IRS and erroneous taxes. But nonetheless, we got to go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Yeah, I know welcome back. And whatever you do, make sure you hit that like button. I know you'll appreciate it. We'll appreciate it. YouTube appreciates it. Everybody will appreciate it. So just go ahead and hit it now. Also, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not subscribed to the channel already. And all of the articles that we cover here on Hyatt 9 News, you can read directly on our website at www.hyatt9news.com. And one quick note, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow there is an event in Long Beach at Anna's they're having a party from 1 to 5 p.m. tomorrow I'm going to be down there 4th and Pine Street in Long Beach from 1 to 5 p.m. and we'll see you there I'm Jason Beck and this is Smoky Vanilla and if you want to feel as good as I look then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla that's right baby I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched, and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Coming up next, it is Miss Elise Roberts. She has been a trailblazing in the cannabis space for a decade and is the founder of Hashinista, a hybrid strategy firm and production company, lifestyle brand, and Elise is actually even an Emerald Cup judge coming up, too. That's right. It's none other than the Hashinista herself, Miss Elise Roberts. Thank you, Jason. But when we get, it's Elise McRoberts. Don't forget that MC. I said McRoberts. Right? I said McRoberts. It's an MC. Like, said like, Roberts. Like, no, I said McRoberts. You just didn't hear the Mick. Okay. I promise. Well, we'll, we'll actually take 
All right. But while I'm here in Marin County, California, my story today is from New Jersey. It's on Marijuana Moment, and it is New Jersey lawmakers filed bills to allow cannabis home grow, interstate commerce, banking protection, psilocybin legalization, and more. They use the word marijuana. I will be swapping it for cannabis and as I read this. So, New Jersey lawmakers are gearing up for a busy year in the drug policy reform space, filing over a dozen bills touching on issues ranging from marijuana, oops, cannabis interstate commerce, home grow, banking, and employment productions protections to psychedelics legalization and kratom regulations. As the state's adult use cannabis market continues to evolve since the implementation of legalization last April, Legislators from both sides of the aisle are bringing forward a slew of proposals to build on the reform and also expand into different drug policy areas. Home cultivation is one area advocates will be closely following as New Jersey stands out among adult use states in its disallowance of having either patients or consumers grow their own plants for personal use. Ooh, government filled Mur- or sorry, Governor Phil Murphy, a Democrat, said he's very open-minded to the issue, but feels the market must mature further before it's enacted, aka let people sell more weed before they let people grow their own weed. So here's a rundown of some of the key cannabis, psilocybin, and kratom bills that New Jersey lawmakers filed for 2024. This is Pretty exciting. There's a lot. Go New Jersey. So S1985 legalizes growing or possessing up to six cannabis plants for personal recreational use and up to 10 plants for personal medical use by persons 21 and older. A414 legalizes possession of six or few cannabis plants. I'm not sure why that's separate. I guess it's just a standalone. Um, It's also interesting. There's no age in there. Uh, S-1393 and A-846 authorizes home cultivation of medical cannabis. S-2286 permits governor-authorized interstate uh, commercial cannabis activity in certain circumstances. So that's Senator President Nicholas Scutari, a Democrat, is sponsoring this interstate proposal again after he filed an earlier version that did not move beyond production or introduction in 2022. That is, um, I think we have a similar one here in California, a bill to, I guess, get them into interstate commerce once that's allowed. Then there's A901 protects financial institutions and insurers doing business with cannabis industry from being penalized by state regulators. There's a few for um, these other industries, their protections, essentially. There's S1126 establishes State Bank for Handling Marijuana, a.k.a. Cannabis-Related Funds. There's S-1955, creates certain protections for insurers and insurance providers engaging in business of insurance with connection or, yeah, with connection with cannabis-related businesses. A-1609 establishes protection from adverse employment action for authorized medical cannabis patients. Great. A-2719 provides employer and employee protections pursuant to the use of legalized cannabis items. This is worker-focused legislation that would build on existing 
uh, existing guidance adopted by the State Cannabis Regulatory Commission that clarifies employers generally cannot penalize workers based solely on positive drug tests for cannabis metabolites. Another one Elise, is... Elise, we got to discuss the story because we're running out of time. And... And you, okay, should, you should so just sorry, let everybody so know if they want, no no you should just let everybody know if they want to read any if they want to learn about all the bills going on in New Jersey that they can read it directly on our website at www.hyatt9news.com. Yes. So yeah, you can read them all there. Some other ones I'll point out is there's a psilocybin behavioral health access services act and there is also one that's not so good it establishes THC potency limits for cannabis products. So then, of course, there's a Crotum Protection Act, Crotum being a, a plant that is completely legal right now and hits the opioid receptor. So there's a lot more interesting ones in there, but I'll let you guys chime in and uh, give me your comments. What do we think about New Jersey trying to open it up? This is Elise McRoberts, the Hashanista for Hyatt 9 News. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at Yarrow. Yarrow is like, oh, go ahead. Ahead, I was I was wondering what her dog thinks because I, I'm a d big dog person and I've been a big fan of hers since before I ever met her and then like fanboyed her on connecting <laughs> flights from like JFK to, to to MJ Biz and I was just thinking that if she's going to share her opinions as a regular contributor that she should also share what the what the poochie thinks and to see if they're aligned in their perspectives because there could be some divergent views. I mean, look, I, I think that, you know, at least did a, a deep policy dive and maybe we don't have the time for that now, but it, these are all different bills. And I think that the, the general takeaway is New Jersey is getting busy and some of these are going to live, some of these are going to die, some of these are going to be modified in the process, but they're taking seriously the economic opportunities, the plant medicine opportunities, the uh, the, the variety of issues that come up as a result of trying to have a society that is adapting and changing. And so I'm not in favor of the potency limit rules only because I think that that shackles cultivators and penalizes them if they have an amazing round that tests higher than they were supposed to. Now we've got a product that has challenges or issues. Um, I, I'm not, I don't have enough information about Adam to be able to be valuable and have a, an opinion about that. But what I just do like is that New Jersey seems to have a docket of proposed legislation that would lead me to believe that they are taking the opportunities seriously and that they are trying to have sensible regulation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, what I, I love support... about this. The most. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Elise. I was just going to say what I love about this the most, and Miss Axel Rose is very pro home grow, um, is that this shows that, you know, a state that got it completely wrong in the beginning by not allowing for home grow, it shows there's opportunity to fix something done wrong, right? And so let's hope that that passes well let's know. just let, let's just let's just say the opportunity happens if it actually does get fixed because otherwise it's just smoke and mirrors and just placating to the base when actually getting nothing done all right i'll 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 throw this in i'm from jersey you're from jersey you're from jersey you're who's <laughs> from jersey i'm from jersey okay there's two things about jersey big it's pharmaceutical it's all there the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world are all in New Jersey. And the wise guys, the Sopranos, right? They're all in Jersey. If there's money to be made, you pay a neighborhood tax based on where you are. 
It's yeah. New Jersey is the state that's in between Pennsylvania and New York. Come on, man. The only thing I would add is that the plant number needs to go away. It's about canopy, not plant number. We I agree realized with that. this in California a long time ago. Mm -hmm. They want to control production. They've got to go to canopy, not plant number. I, I totally, totally agree with that. And I support the home grow. Um, but the, the interstate trade bill is a pipe dream. Like they, they, and, they, and they couldn't do it even if they wanted to. It takes the act of the federal government. But uh, nonetheless, we're going to roll right on in to Mr. Yarrow Kubrin. He is our very own Florida man from Sebastopol, California. That's right, the 707. He does cannabis real estate and every now and again he might get some cannabis real estate in that's right is none other than mr yarrow kubrin i i should have i should have put one of my dogs in my lap i'm gonna do that the next time elise and i have the uh uh the opportunity to share the screen um and and it's not every once in a while i do cannabis real estate it's every day all day so don't get it twisted. I am playing in 15 different states and loving all of these new adult use markets, uh, with the exception of New York. But anyway, I digress. So my article today is in Maryland, and good morning, Hyatt 9 News viewers. Maryland rules on past marijuana use may hurt police recruiting, Chief says. Maryland rules regarding marijuana use may make it harder to recruit new police officers, Montgomery County's chief says. Even though cannabis is legal in the state, recruits have to be pot-free for three years before applying. Having a legal drug become a barrier to increasing law enforcement seems like it's a bad policy, said Montgomery County Assistant Chief Administrative Officer Earl Stoddard. In a letter sent last April to the Maryland Police Training and Standards Commission, Montgomery County Police Chief Marcus Jones, ahead of the Fraternal Order of Police and a county council member, asked the commission to modify its regulations. The commission agreed to conduct a study. I think in today's environment, where we are with the legalization of cannabis that has now restricted law enforcement agencies, particularly larger agencies across the state, Jones said, and officials said they want to have more local flexibility on marijuana use in the hiring process. Once on the force, officers are banned from any kind of cannabis use. By comparison, D.C. police require recruits to be marijuana-free for three months before applying. It's a big issue, but it's going to become an increasingly larger issue as more people who have consumed with legalization consider policing. They realize they're ineligible, and that's when we expect to see a bigger drop-off in applications, Stoddard said. If the commission doesn't make the change, the county will work with lawmakers in Annapolis on possible legislation that could give them the flexibility they want. Montgomery County Police Officer Montgomery County Police are down 175 officers. The department already offers a $20,000 signing bonus and plans to hire a firm, waste the taxpayers' money, to help with recruiting. Fairfax County Police say there is no specific ban on past marijuana use for its new applicants. They're handled on a case-by-case -case basis. This is Yaro Kubrin, Friday morning, high at 9 News. Weed for the people. I would like to hear what my esteemed panelists of fellow guests have to think about this. Maryland, Maryland, Maryland. 
It's not Marilyn Monroe we're talking about here tonight, you guys. Man, I mean, Yaro, do you? What, what, I mean, I don't. I, I think the I think the chief is 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 overreacting on this, just a little bit, just a smidge. Well, look, if you're a police department and you're down 175 people, you've got a big deficit to fill mm-hmm. in terms of abled, motivated bodies. And as society's rules change, so too do the qualification rules. And nobody is going to say that, like, a blunt is a tactical instrument. Like, I don't want my SWAT team rappelling down after just having 57 dabs. I get that. But I think that we need to continue to eliminate the stigma of cannabis use because if they can have 57 shots of tequila on a Saturday night, and that's not a disqualifier. I mean, everybody needs a little vice, okay? Mm-hmm. And our civil servants are underappreciated, underpaid, and have very stressful positions. How are they supposed to take the edge off in their own time without risking continued employment or the opportunity? My feeling is if you have a call for public service, our job as a society is to make that as appealing as possible and to lower those barriers of entry and to hopefully attract the type of people that will be great uh, great representatives of law enforcement embedded in their communities and, and making righteous decisions as they help society to improve itself. Mm-hmm. I just, I... So I got a quick story for everybody. Hold on. Go for story. it, baby. So I consulted for a group. I consulted for a group that got a license in, in Maryland, one of the first groups, and they turned an old tuna factory that used to make bumblebee tuna into a cannabis grow, and it just happened to be right behind the cop shop, okay? So actually, the cops became the security force that we used for the cannabis grow. Our entire security folks were all police. They took off their policeman uniform. They they still had their gun with them. They came back and basically were our security. It was a symbiotic relationship with law enforcement because we needed the security to do what we were doing at the time. And I, I, I think there's an opportunity for that that I see. Maybe Elise can comment on this across the country where you know, former and current law enforcement participants in that side of the industry are also basically the security of cannabis grows. They're licensed to carry guns, right? So, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, when you we, need that, you have that. And, and, and I mean, we, we have on the show uh, Chris Eggers, who's former, uh, f- former, former detective for San Francisco and for, for, Oakland. for example, yeah. Yeah. And, and who now There's does cannabis security. Tons of people exactly. like that. Mm hmm. Hundreds exactly of people right. like that, Jason, across the country. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, I think what makes a really good case when you're when you're putting together an application in a new state that's just opening up a cannabis grow or a cannabis dispensary is you have law enforcement individuals that are known in that community on your application mm-hmm. as the head of security or you know somehow involved. You know, it gives the the it definitely gives some a sense points. of security that it gives you some points but, but on your I, application. Right. And, but, right, but I think, exactly. I think we're, we're kind of conflating two different things, Mark. What you're talking about is the opportunity for law enforcement, based on their training and experience, to be a value add in the cannabis industry. And I think what this article is a bit more focused on is the opportunity for cannabis users 
to be of benefit and contributing in their communities as members of law enforcement organizations. And in a perfect world, anything that is legal to do is not a disqualifier for somebody who does want to be a civil servant, who does want to be uh, a boy or a girl, a man or woman in blue, helping their, 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 their local area, whether they grew up there or they're new there, you know, I want to give people who get into that profession generally the benefit of the doubt, because I think most of them are motivated by bettering society. And so if we're penalizing cannabis users, not because of what they're doing on the clock, but what they're doing in the freedom of their off time that is state legal, we are limiting the opportunity for law enforcement to fill those ranks when they already have deficits and when they could be getting really talented people. It reminds me of the way the military treated gay people, okay? Like, oh, don't ask, don't tell. Like, that's a fucking policy. And then you have all of these incredibly talented people who can speak 17 languages but happen to love somebody who looks like them and they can't be part of our intelligence apparatus because of who they choose to love. And so if we've got really talented, qualified and motivated individuals who wanna be a part of law enforcement and the only reason they can't is because they choose to tell the truth around their legal off-time cannabis use, that's a missed opportunity for us to fill those ranks with people who happen to comply with state law and who happen to enjoy cannabis. And if I was a cop, I would want something on my downtime to take the edge off. And maybe it would be, quilting maybe it would be jigsaw puzzles maybe it would be going off with my son and fishing but maybe it would be cannabis use and we need to start acknowledging that cannabis use not just for glaucoma and cancer but as a wellness tool as a a way to create uh uh an equilibrium for individuals what do you call that dr t homo homo Thank okay. you. Homeostasis. And so if, if a cop wants to use cannabis for homeostasis on their off time, let's come up with some policy around what that looks like versus just a direct ban of that person being able to be a cop. No, to- totally. I, I, I get it. You, the article is sort of focused on something else. But I guess what I'm trying to bring up is the symbiotic relationship that really law enforcement and security has with one another. Again, based on that skill set, but you know, I'll be honest with you. I remember having a conversation with one of those guys, you know, big gun in hand, inside the grow, being teary eyed, telling me about a sick grandmother in, in chemotherapy. And They're I'm moved now just thinking about it. it, it yeah. There's definitely there, a big there, human. There's a recognition by law enforcement that this is legitimate medicine because I have these examples in my family, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that's on a case-by-case basis with, with each individual officer and their own individual experiences, but it, it definitely it definitely does d- does work like that 100%. I've seen it happen numerous times with many different members of law enforcement throughout the years. Um and uh, but we, I got, I got one more story for you guys, bro. And th- and this is this is this is this is a big one. Are you guys ready? Here we go. The feds will release marijuana rescheduling memo and related documents in their entirety in a response to the lawsuit. You guys, that's right. The Department of Health and Human Services (HHS) has agreed to release documents related to its recommendation to federally reschedule marijuana in their entirety. Amid litigation over a Freedom of Information Act FOIA request that was filed by a lawyer last year, 
in, in quotes, uh, good afternoon and thank you for your patience. A Department of Justice attorney, ha attorney handling the case said in an email to Attorney Matt Zorn on Thursday, the agency had advised that it will release the letter and its enclosures in their entirety. End quote. When the government announces a marijuana rescheduling through a federal register notice, he pointed out it would attach the letter and its enclosures to that posting. Zorn last month obtained more than 250 pages of the rescheduled advisory letter and supporting documents sent by HHS and the Drug Enforcement Administration last year, though the vast majority were released only with high redacted form. In a phone interview with a Marijuana Moment, Zorn said the new development comes after a a little scuffle with the federal government over the timeline in his FOIA lawsuit. The Justice Department had filed a motion to vacate a deadline for summary judgment that was set for January 18th. While Zorn said he would typically accept such a request, he, ins he instead filed an opposing brief and the judge ultimately denied the government's motion. He added that, in quotes, realistically, the lawsuit could have a accelerated the timing of the government's uh, scheduling announcement, though it's also possible that that uh, just the letter will be released without the DEA immediately announcing a decision in the ongoing scheduling review. Broadly, the documents are believed to discuss new scientific information that has come to light in recent years, which HHS suggests might necessitate rescheduling marijuana, while the Congressional Research Service, the CRS, recently concluded that it was likely that the DEA would follow the HHS's recommendation based on past precedents. DEA reserves the right to disregard the health agency's advice because it has final just jurisdiction over the Controlled Substances Act. Recently, DEA uh, re uh, re reiterated in a letter to Congress that it has final authority on rescheduling decisions regardless of the health agency's recommendations. In quotes, DEA has the final authority to schedule, reschedule, or deschedule a drug under the Controlled Substances Act after considering the relevant statutory and regulatory criteria and HHS's scientific and medical evaluation. It says DEA is now conducting its review. The agency's uh, state uh, statement came in response to an earlier letter from third 31 bipartisan lawmakers led by Representative Earl Blumenauer, Democrat from Oregon, that implored DEA to consider the merits of legalizing as it's carried out its review. The initial letter also criticized the limitations of simply placing cannabis in Schedule 3 as opposed uh, to fully removing the plant from the Controlled Substances Act. Meanwhile, six former DEA heads and five former White House drug czars have sent a letter to the Attorney General and current DEA Administrator voicing opposition to the top federal agency's health recommendation to reschedule marijuana. They also made a questionable claim about the relationship between drug uh, schedules and criminal penalties in a way that could exaggerate the potential impact of the uh, incremental reform. Uh, signatories include DEA and Office of National Drug Control Policy, heads under uh, multiple administrations led by presidents of both major parties. Two GOP senators, including the lead Republican sponsor of a marijuana banking bill that cleared a key committee last month, recently filed new legislation to prevent federal agencies from rescheduling cannabis without uh, tacit approval from Congress. A coalition of 14 Republican congressional lawmakers, meanwhile, is urging the DEA to reject the top federal health agency's recommendation to reschedule marijuana and instead keep it in the most restrictive category under the Controlled Substances Act. What do you guys think about this last story of the day? It sounds like we're getting a, re 
unredacted version of this FOIA request. Man, I almost feel like uh, <clears throat> feel like this is cannabis is Kennedy right here. I think it's huge. I think you know that uh, the DEA has been using picking and choosing their studies to argue that cannabis should remain as Schedule One, and if HHS has uh, provided studies that refute that the DEA is going to have trouble, um, you know, taking the same stance that they always do. It sounds like they're trying to take a stance. It's illegal. It's criminal. And we need to keep it that way, you know, for other reasons, but, you know, using the science and the research now to, this is going to bring the argument, uh, 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 to a head, it's going to be interesting to see. No, I, you know, isn't well, is this what the LaGuardia Committee, what LaGuardia Committee uh, concluded, and what the um, the American Medical Association concluded, just as that Nixon was putting the uh, Controlled Dangerous Substance Act in play? They basically ignored the medical data, which which proved what we all know about cannabis, mm -hmm. and so they need to stop playing this masquerade. And uh, deschedule because it's not dangerous. It doesn't need to be controlled, and it needs to be regulated as a medicinal herb, not a drug. Yep. Drugs are made by drug companies, sold at drug stores, paid for by drug insurance. This is a medicine you could grow yourself, and you could trade amongst your friends. It's an agricultural commodity. It needs to be treated as such. I totally agree with that. I think Dr. we just Mark. need to differentiate between the transparency that they're going to provide versus a change in policy. So they can say, sure, we'll show you everything. It doesn't mean that they're gonna move uh, quickly or incrementally towards uh, something that is more scientific based. Uh, you know, they've been saying we need more research for however long, and yet we've had medical programs going back more than 30 years in some states. And so, uh, the DEA does seem to continue to rehash its recycled talking points about whatever position it wants to continue to maintain. Look, I think the DEA is an incredibly important organization, and I think fentanyl is the greatest risk to this generation of Americans. Mm -hmm. And so I know that they have noble work to do, and they seem to be um, what we call in my house puppy hogging. Uh, where you know where you don't share the new dog, and 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 they really want to maintain some sort of control over how this decision unfolds, what eventual new positions the federal government has. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure why any uh, DEA resources are being allocated towards anything cannabis related, unless we're talking about uh, trafficking of individuals and some of the associated crimes that come with underregulated industries. Well, I mean, um, I think that DEA was only created be because they criminalized drugs right back in when the war on drugs was created. So we actually don't need them. And I don't think their work is important because we wouldn't have all these illicit substances and issues if things were legal and you know safely tested and just freely available that there wouldn't you, you, you be still, an underground you, 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 you or criminal still, market. You still have illegal drugs though, Elise. You still have all this all this uh th this th this quirk, uh, this fentanyl, all this stuff that is ravaging our community. I believe all drugs should be legal and that it should be drugs should be approached as, you know, just the same as anything else. I, 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 I can't agree with that when it comes to fentanyl. 
Fentanyl was. Who do you think's putting it out? It's our own government. No, it's not. It's the, no, mean, it's not. It's the Chinese. It's the Chinese. It comes from oh, China. Okay. It gets shipped well, in through it, Mexico it, it and then comes together. across the border. I do think what this article it just sounds super authoritative. The DEA basically saying, um, "Yeah, you can send us whatever you want, but we make the final decision, and we're going to do what we do." And they've ignored facts and science before and operated in their own interests and the interests of those that serve them. And yeah, they are, they need to stay relevant and keep their jobs. They need something to police and something to regulate. Right. So fentanyl is the new big, scary, crazy thing. Mm -hmm. But, and of course, you know, I've actually known people who've died from it. I'm not negating the, um, issue of fentanyl, but I think criminalizing people who, Use drugs is not the answer, and that's the issue. The war on drugs is that fentanyl is usually it's hurting and harming people who are addicts who are you know seeking it out for whatever purpose. Those aren't the people who need to be arrested and criminalized. Well, I don't think I don't think anyone's advocating to be arresting the addicts. I think they're trying to go after the fentanyl suppliers and people that are pushing it on these streets because if there wasn't it on the streets, you wouldn't have all the tweakers out looking for it. Well, and I'm I would argue that if those tweakers had access to high quality cannabis concentrates, they wouldn't need fentanyl. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I would argue that if the government didn't flood the, you know, poor communities and communities of color with these drugs purposely, then we wouldn't have the addicts in the first place. And fast food. Don't forget fast food. Yep. Oh, oh, oh. And yeah, exactly. Sugar. One of the most important things, though, I think that that, that I took out of this is the fact that in in the options, the DEA said we have three options. They said they said we can we can go with rescheduling. We can leave it as a schedule one. But they also mentioned deschedule. And I think that it's really important for us to note the fact that they did mention that as one of their options. So they are aware that descheduling is a possibility for them. And and I'm going to remain hopefully optimistic that that would be the way that they go. Otherwise, I hope they keep it as a schedule one and uh we can let congress deal with it and figure it out because that's that, that that's my thoughts on it the the no, that 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 means that the dialogue that we've been having about descheduling versus rescheduling mm-hmm. is starting to be listened to yeah that's a good thing exactly p- part of the dialogue on, on here in high nine mm-hmm. and and dr t i just got one quick question because they mentioned that 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 in this whole thing it was going to be totally redacted and there was going to be a number of different studies are you hopefully optimistic that there may be some type of studies in there that that could have some type of medical breakthrough that maybe could help your, your practice and what you do for patients? No, I don't think they're going to teach me anything new. I think that, you know, they're, they're always far behind in terms of the cannabis industry and, and what we're doing. But I do think that they are going to bring up studies that, um, that they're not going to be able to pick and choose their studies. Studies can be good and they can be bad, and you can pick the studies that that support your point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can ignore the studies that don't. And so that's what they've been doing for years, is picking the studies that support their point and ignoring those that don't. Now that now HHS is stepping in and providing some their perspective on the studies, and I'm sure it's going to be different than what they've looked at before, what the DA's looked at before. So that's going to really, um, you know, throw a wrench at it. Of course, I'd prefer descheduling over rescheduling, but I'll take any incremental move um, and get it out of schedule one for sure. That's that's the ridiculous thing. 
D it, it's important to note that HHS and me. It, it, it's important to note that HHS was the holder of the U.S. patent, U.S. 6630507, on the neuroprotective property of cannabinoids. So, John, they've been doing this work in Bethesda for years to understand. Margaret Hustis, who won the, the uh, Mishulam Prize this year at the ICRS, is the woman at, at the uh, uh, NIH who has studied the metabolic breakdown of cannabinoids in our body. So we wouldn't know half of what we know scientifically on cannabinoids if it wasn't for taxpayer-funded research done at our own National Institute of Health. Mm. I just wanted to add that. Oh, man. And on that, we're going to— Then when they saw the opportunity— H Okay, go ahead. No, I was going to say— When they saw the opportunity, HHS is like, we're going to patent that, mm. and then we'll license it. I, I, I don't doubt it, and that's why they want to move it to Schedule 3 to give it to the pharmaceutical industry so that's what they can do with it, make it a synthesized drug. But nonetheless, thank you all for getting high at 9 with us every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big thank yous to our audience and supporters for tuning in daily and listening to the insanity that is the developing cannabis industry. Thank you to all, all of our sponsors keeping the lights on. Cloud Media, Adam with his feather hair holding it down with keeping the av struggles to a minimum thank you to our correspondent spending your time with us this morning and thank you to you for spending your time with us we appreciate you being here with us and this has been one hella of a week of news for you guys and i hope this is enough to fill you up until next week um rico couldn't be with us today he had he had an emergency and so uh in in, in the spirit of rico i'm going to give the last word to dr Talleyrand. dr Talleyrand, what do you want to take everybody out with Oh, wow. Okay. So where, where are we? This is 2024, January. We're, this is going to be the year, guys, for, uh, for changing the cannabis law. Remember that the plant is there uh, to teach us about love uh, at community. And uh, so let's not uh, lose perspective. Have a great weekend. All right. It's